I'd like us to turn to 1 John chapter 5 and so conclude the series on 1 John. This is the passage that's been given me to read and to speak on, and so we're going to read from verse 1 through to verse 15. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to find one on your phone or in front of the bank, because I think it will be helpful as we go through it. So, let's 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, so everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world even after. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He didn't come by water only, but by water and blood. And it's the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who doesn't believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that you have in approaching God. But if you ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if you know that he hears us, whatever you ask, we know that he has what we ask of him. Imagine for the moment that uh, you didn't know me, and uh, I had two things that I was offering to you that you might use to get to know me. My CV, or alternatively, my album book, the album book of my life. And I just wonder which of those two you might choose. If it were the CV, I might give some details of um, my birth and maybe where I've worked and my skills, experience, that sort of thing. With an album, what would you see? You'd see places that I've been to, people that I've mixed with, some scenes perhaps showing the values, things that are important to me. I would just wonder which of those two you would choose. I think for most of us, if we think a little about that, we would choose the album. Because what does the CD show? The CD shows the facts, the outline of my life, 
If it's the album, it shows the flavor of my life. It shows the story of my life. When you look at the Bible, the Bible is God's story, God's photo album for us, so that we might understand who God is. If God wanted us to know certain facts about him, he would have given us a systematic theology, but he hasn't done that. He's given us the story. And so what are the children going to tell us out now? They're going to look at David and Goliath, but supremely, we're looking at how God works in David's life. And then, it's as if God is showing us his album, and he says, See, Daniel? God, I'm with Daniel. And this is what happened. And this is how we interacted. And Daniel's life. And so, right throughout the Bible, God is showing us his story. And continue on the story with the coming of the Lord Jesus, where we see God becoming man, walking on earth, and revealing the character, the life, and the person of God to us. And so, as we look at the Word of God, we see God's story. And clearly the Bible is concluded and finished, but God's story goes on as we engage with God, or with the Lord, as we understand His Word. And in a sense, God's story continues. As we draw near to God, God's Word is near to us. And then God's story of redemption in the fallen world continues the life of everyone who comes to know him. And that's the joy, that's the privilege of being a Christian that we become part of God's story because we know God. God becomes, as we become part of God's story as we get to know him. And yet, I'm sure you've had this experience too when you're looking through a family album you look at a picture and you look for yourself. Where are you in that picture? And you look at uh, a certain person and uh, maybe of, uh, some years ago and you think, is that really me? Am I really in that picture? Am I really in that story, that particular scene in that story? And this is exactly what these Christians in the Apostles' journey time were saying. They were saying, am I really in God's story? Am I really part of what God is doing and giving His life for me? Because they were unsure. They were unsettled. They had come to faith in the Lord Jesus, and yet there was wrong teaching that had come into the church that unsettled them. And so they went through, and then there was persecution. Why are these things happening? And so their faith that at one point was on track was being troubled. And so John is writing the story, this letter, to tell them about what God has done for them and to encourage them in their faith. And so as we look at the passage that we have to look at in 1 John chapter 5, we have the summary of the book for us, because if you look at this verse, 
to hopefully have an opportunity to hang me. Um, I want you to to believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to them to encourage them to strengthen their sense of assurance that what God has done in bringing them into his story is actually true and living. And to the question then, how do I know that I have a eternal life? The whole book, the whole letter, gives four tests, four evidences that the individual can know whether I am truly part of that story or not. There's a final test. Certain things that we believe about Jesus as the Son of God. Certain aspects of the person of Christ, who he is and what he's done. Then there's a social test. The social test in terms of my love for others. A moral test is the obedience to God's word. Is my life characterized by a commitment to obey what God has said in this world? And then there's that spiritual test. That test where the Spirit of God testifies, witnesses to our spirit, that heavenly standing soul saying, You are mine. And so right throughout this letter, we see these four things that are intertwined, that keep coming back up to reinforce these things so that your Christians who are uncertain might be sure that they are indeed children of God, that they are indeed part of God's story, that they are indeed eternally loved by Him. Just looking at the chapter, the part of the chapter that I read earlier on, if you look at verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, there is that doctrinal test. If you look at it in verse 5, who is this that overcomes the world, only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you look at verse 2, this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and following out to command. So again, there is that social test, that love for the people of God. Verse 3, this is love for God, to obey his command. Again, there is that moral test. Verse 6, we see the second part of verse 6, and it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. And as we look at verse 10, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. So just illustrations in this third chapter that we've read that can be seen right throughout the letter. Here are these things, here are these evidences that can help you to enter that assurance that you are the people of God. And here, in the particular verse that we're looking at, we're seeing great clarity that John brings to us that we might have that assurance, that they might be fully assured, having come to a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And so, as we recognize that truth, let's look at the second point, who is it that gives eternal life? Where do you find eternal life? And we just move back up to verse 11, and this is the testament God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son.
And so the whole question of the story begins with this glorious truth that God has given us eternal life. It is the free gift of God. Now there is in both in all of us broken people this thinking, this attitude that we need to do something in order to get something from God. That cross-missing Christianity approach. If I do something to God, God will do something in return. If I pray, then God will bless me. If I give money, God will bless me. That's not the gospel. That's not the Christian message. The Christian message is that God has given me. That's what it says there in verse 11. God has given us his son. Other religions demand that you do something, and then you will get The Christian message is God has done everything for us, given us everything, that we might enjoy his love and his grace. We will never be in good standing with God because of what we do. It's because of what He has done. That is the message of the Gospel. This is what we see in verse 12. He who has the Son has life. That's what these verses are understood for these Christians. God has done it all. It is because He's given us His Son. And as Matthew reminded us at the beginning of the series, reminding us of the Lord Jesus doing the life, the life, and the love of what the Father has done. He's given us the Son, and with Him the life, with Him the love, and with Him the uh, love. And so, the third point, what is eternal life? Christians die like everyone else. So why is John talking about here as eternal life? It means that the life that we have through our relationship with God through Christ doesn't end with God, but continues beyond it. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Lord Jesus has guaranteed the future of the child of God. Whatever trial it may come, whatever uncertainties may come, whatever confusing situations may lie ahead, the Christian is sure that he has life, and that life is his forever. There's a verse that, I, that is so helpful to us in this regard in John's Gospel, chapter 10, where the Lord Jesus is speaking about those whom the Father has given to him, those who will come to faith in him. And this is what he says in verse 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So you have this glorious picture of a father giving his children to the Lord Jesus in one hand, and the Lord Jesus assuring us that we are in the father's hand. So in a sense, these two hands are together, keeping the children together. But whatever the circumstances, whatever the problems, whatever is ahead, we are kept in the father's hand. When we were in the Congo, 
um, our children uh, enjoyed playing with their hungry children. And one day, Ruth, our oldest child, came back to, to the house with uh, three or four of her hungry friends, and they, they had a small bird in their hand. Exactly like that, a bird that is thrown out of the tree, and in both their hands they were protecting this uh, little bird. And to get the picture, uh, I think of that giant hand, the father's hand, with the Lord Jesus protecting us. So we asked, what are you going to do? Um, what are you going to do with the bird? We're going to take it and eat it. The I'm trying to say here. But in some senses, it's a sense of that God is different. And that when God promises to protect us, He will protect us. He's guaranteed to protect us. And He's guaranteed not because of my feelings about God, but because of who He is, because He's poor. And what his word says can be relied upon because he is faithful and he is true to what he says. And so, when we have this sense that God has given to us life in Christ, what does that mean? It means that we are adopted into the family of God, protected by him, but also supremely adopted into his family, adopted with our message with our failures, with our own disappointments with ourselves. God has accepted us and brought us into his family. It means that our sins have been forgiven. All the things, all the rebellions, all the expressions of rejection of God is forgiven. And in the words of that thing, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. That's what it means when John here is talking about having Christ is our life. It means that we share in the hope that we have for the future. I wonder at times whether we truly value and appreciate the gift that God has given to us in Christ. We may acknowledge it, we may understand it to some degree, but in terms of all sponsorship of heart, and the valuing of it perhaps, is room for growth. I was driving one day and uh, listening to uh, Radio 5 Live, and they were interviewing somebody who would uh, taste the best, and um, Seemingly, uh, the horses are coming in the right order, and he won. And he thought uh, he had won 250 pounds. And so he went to the betting shop and was surprised to see the manager uh, excited to see him. That's why he was excited. Because he won. Yes, okay, well, I won 250 pounds. No, you haven't won 250 pounds, you've won 25,000 pounds. So Nick read something on the slip and uh, there was some misunderstanding of what he had. 
I just wonder whether our terms, whether they affect us as Christians, whether we haven't fully understood the greatness of God's grace to us. Yes, we've got some treasure, but it's not 250, it's 25,000, it's 25 million. And it's as we look across God's word and we appreciate again the wonder of God's grace to us, that there is both again within our hearts that sense of praise and gratitude and thanks to God for what He has done for us in Christ. Looking at the next point, what is assurance of salvation? You might be saying, yes, we are not very well, but how can I know? How can I know that I am part of that story? How can I be certain, even here, that I am inheritance, I receive the inheritance that God has done for me? And so, let's just look at the issue of experience itself. Experience is that subtle conviction in the heart that you belong to God and his family, that you are delivered from God's judgment and have received his gift of life. And while you might recognize that there is still much to be changed in your life, there is that underlining of your faith founded on the divine truth of the promises of God. There is that undergirding of your understanding that you have lost death and that you are enjoying life and that even though there are storms that come against you, you know, you know deep within your heart that you have passed from being an enemy of God to becoming his child. Now there are two parts to the point. There's a first one and a true one. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. And yet the true assurance that we recognize by the Spirit of God in looking at these texts that we'll look at again in just in a minute are undergirded by this truth. Uh, it's a, a quote from Timothy Keller that I think is helpful to us at this point. The great basic Christian assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God, but how unshakably his heart is set on us. And so as we understand the, the commitment of Christ and of God to us that helps us to put things in perspective and to see that it's not dependent on me, but it's dependent upon him and what he has done for me. And yet these photos, these tests that I mentioned at the beginning that John has shown right from the, the beginning of the letter are helpful as encouragement to the thing that is to be and authentic. And so, as I look at my life, I ask myself that question, what do I think about the Lord Jesus? Who is the Lord Jesus for me? Is he the Son of God? Is he the Christ? Is he the one who has laid down his life for me? 
And as far as I reflect on those things, and as I think within my heart, there is a responsiveness, the drawing of my soul across to him, so then I can see and understand that yes, indeed, this assurance is not a serious or false one, but it is a genuine one. When I look at my life and see that with all my failings there is nevertheless an ongoing obedience to the word, then there is that encouragement that we read in 1 John 2, 3. We know that we can know him if we obey his And if I see that there is love in my life for others, it's a reflection of what we see in John 4, 16. Where he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. And so, as we look at these things that can test the genuineness of our assurance, we have encouragement. Not that we have eternal life because we do these things, but rather they are the fruit of what God brings into our lives. These are the fruits of the life of God within us. They are not because of these things that God then welcomes us. There is a growing assurance. The more we walk with the Lord Jesus, the more we see these tests or these truths and focus coming in a sharp focus and so there is that strengthened within us that sense of a smile and a favor in that we are truly part of this family. A few weeks ago, I was uh, doing some uh, gardening. It was Seth um, and Hera in our family that Ian was doing some gardening. And as I was pulling out some, some beds and uh, one part, it was so shortly after uh, the beginning of the month where we had a lot of rain. And uh, I was pulling things out and the, the ground was quite uh, moist and uh, ready uh, to be broken up and uh, for other planting to be done. And then I came to a port, a portion that was uh, somewhat under, under the bush that was hard and rocky. Right next to the good place, there was this hard place. And why was it hard? Because the rain had not penetrated because the bush was covering. And I just wonder sometimes whether there are bushes that grow in our lives that mean that instead of the rain of the Spirit coming upon our, our hearts and our lives, that encourage our souls to be tender towards God and to be obedient to Him, there is that hardness, there is that resistance. So whether it's in terms of the relationship to the Lord Jesus, whether it's in terms of love to another, whether it's in terms of living that life, and showing the grace of the Lord Jesus to others. It's a time to reflect, and a time to bring our hearts again to the Lord, asking Him that He, by His Spirit, would again touch our lives and make us 
it's like that soul that is broken up, tender, ready to receive his word. I wonder what where you are this morning. Because it's totally possible today to have that clear assurance and yet to lose that assurance into the future. We know perhaps from our own experience and the experience of others how it's possible to have to lose that clear sense of assurance, the seduction of this world. Maybe some trials have come to us and those trials render our hearts hardened against God. Maybe there's a disobedience that has crept into our lives and whereas previously the things of God were alive and living into you and you knew God's presence and you knew God's power in your life but now I've got this and that strong things are hard things are not open and so the encouragement that we have from the scripture this morning is to recognize that God wants us to experience that experience. He wants us to know the fullness of that experience. And so, even as we came, first of all, to the Lord Jesus and trusted in Him, you came to Him and your hearts were warmed. So the scripture, so the Spirit of God encourages us all this morning to come across to the Lord Jesus and to find again that warming of our hearts to him. And so finally, how can this chapter, how can this, this verse help us during this week? And as Mark has already indicated to us and pointed us out, there's an application immediately there in verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. And so we have boldness in prayer and coming to him. We have that sense that the life of God is mine. God is mine, mine is God, I with God, I'm part of his family, I come to him as my father. We come with boldness. And there is no sense behind God's back. He extends his hand, wanting to bless and help and to strengthen us as we seek to live for him with the life that he has given to us. The other application surely must be that if God has given so much, if God has given his son, showing us love, must we also therefore not also show love to one another. If we are disciples of the Lord Jesus, we follow in his steps. What is the steps, what are the steps of the Lord Jesus? Steps are to go the way of the cross in order that others be blessed. It's a sacrificial loving. We give of ourselves. We die to ourselves in order that others might have life. So we're going to have coffee in a minute, I think. And when we interact with each other, are we looking for the people that are going to bless us, or that we want to relate to, or are we looking out for one another? Caring for perhaps somebody who is by themselves. 
in your office, in the place where you work, how will you know me in that situation? Will you know somebody who encourages or somebody who discourages? Somebody who shows love or shows indifference? And even as we have the community, in the community with Halloween coming up, how are we showing love in the context of darkness and opposition? It's sacrificial love that Jesus shows as our example, and that's what we are called to say. Finally, surely that third application is the challenge to have renewed strength and courage to proclaim God's message of grace to others. The tendency for us as Christians, particularly in a context where Christians are somewhat rejected, somewhat looked down upon, somewhat unappreciated, the temptation for Christians, we included, is to enjoy God's truth and keep it for myself. Like a spiritual blanket, it's encouraging, it's helpful, we can strength from it, but ultimately, the message of God's grace is not just for us, but it's for the whole world. And so, being reminded that God is with us, being reminded that this kind of grace has been extended to us and continues with us, that gives us courage for this coming week and to live for Him. I just want to close by uh, another family illustration. Um, we have uh, three children, and between our second child and uh, our youngest, Mary, was a, a, a space of five years. And uh, I don't know what you do in your family, but in our family we often talk about the past, we talk about situations that we've been through, and one adds this and the other one adds that, and so the story comes alive as we share those experiences. And I understand uh, in that context, when you're in that situation of sharing family stories, she says she has had that tendency to say, Yes, and then I did this, and then we were that. And then the others would say, No, she wasn't even born then. Because she, she knows the story, she has assimilated the story, she enjoys the story, and so she's become part of the story. But the problem is that she wasn't really in the story. And I just wonder whether there might be some of us we know the story of God. We know the story of God's life through Christ and know the language the Christians use. But you're not yet really in the story because you've not yet given your life to the Lord Jesus. And so I just encourage you this morning as we are reminded through some of these verses of what God has done for us in Christ that you turn from the life, that selfish life that you have lived, and receive the new life that the Lord Jesus promises to those who come to him.
picture. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you are a gracious God. Thank you that you so loved the world, that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we pray for those of us who know you, who have this everlasting life, this eternal life, we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us by your Spirit, so that these truths become increasingly part of who we are, and that we might live for the glory and for the praise of your name. For those, Lord, who are struggling, who are not sure, encourage their hearts. For those who are still outside, draw them new clothes. On the basis of what we just heard of you hearing our prayers, we trust you with us in Jesus' name. Amen.